So this morning, we're going to continue a conversation we started a couple of weeks ago uh, in regard to the first 11 chapters of Genesis as we're kind of walking through this. I do this a couple times, uh, about once every couple of years. Um, I've been spending the last year or so reworking all of this. These are things that I used to do in conferences. Uh, I haven't really put it out there very much uh, just because I I wanted to spend some time with the material. Um, So you're getting the new version um, this. So if you've walked through this before with me, this is not the same thing. And so um, what we're doing today, uh, we, we started the conversation with the importance of Genesis a couple weeks ago. Uh, and then today what we're going to be talking about is building a biblical worldview. And what I'm hoping to be able to show you today is the importance of scriptural authority in your life. Um, now behind me, I mentioned these before, there are four scriptures on the wall. And these four scriptures were not chosen at random. They're not chosen because they were kind of cool. They were actually chosen because of this message and how important I feel this message is to the life of all believers. If you can get your head wrapped around what we're going to talk about today, I promise you the way you relate to people will change. The way you see things in the world will change and you will be able to see. I know a lot of people who have a hard time seeing the goodness of God in the world. They have a hard time seeing the provision of God in the world because they have been robbed of their vision. They've been taught to see things the way the secular world wants you to see them instead of the way God sees them. And that changes things. So these, these four scriptures, the first two, Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. There are four questions that we're going to be dealing with today, and these scriptures answer those questions. And the very first one is, where did I come from? Where did I come from? This this meat bag that I'm stuck in, this, this ball of dirt in the universe floating around, where did this stuff come from? This answers that question. In the beginning, God. The second one, John 3.16. For this is how God loved the world. He gave his own, one and only son so that everyone who believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. This answers the question of meaning. One of the other important questions is, what am I here for? Anyone ever felt lost? You didn't know what you were supposed to do? You're, 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 you know, 45, you're trying to figure out what you're going to be when you grow up? I'm sure no one has ever been there. This answers that purpose. You don't step out of eternity and into the material world that you created because you don't care about your creation. You step out and you do that because there's a purpose for it. And that creation stepped away from the purpose. We'll get to that in another message. But God has something for your life. And the third one is Matthew twenty-eight nineteen. Therefore, go and make disciples. That's a key word. Disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. A disciple is not simply someone who calls himself a Christian. You can call yourself a Christian. But that does not make you a disciple. I know a lot of people who call themselves Christians. They're not even close. What they mean is, I go to church on Sunday. That's great. I don't know if you realize this, but so does the devil. He even reads the Bible. He even knows what the Bible says. Probably knows it better than we do. Coming into the building, you know, grabbing your coffee, clicking your time card does not make you his. We're supposed to be disciples. A disciple is someone who studies the teachings of and then lives them out. So a disciple of Christ is one who studies the teachings of Christ and then lives them. That's a disciple. We're to make disciples. But this answers the questions of morality. 
How do I know the difference between right and wrong? Boy, isn't that a conversation piece for today. Right and wrong are so subjective today, we don't even know which way is up or down. We can't tell the difference between boy and girl. Talk about a confused group of people. And lastly, we have Revelation 21.1. Then I saw the new heaven and the new earth. For the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared and the sea was also gone. This answers the question that as you get older becomes more important. What happens when I die? What happens when this ticking time bomb goes off that I happen to be living in at the moment? Is there something waiting for me? Or is it just blackness and fear? What, what's, what's there? This answers that question. And the reason I picked these four scriptures is because if you walk around, it's that God created the world. God loves the world. He sends us into the world and he will remake the world. key verses for the life of a believer. And what these, what these questions do is they force you to, they, when you answer them, it forces you to create what's called a worldview. And a worldview is a framework or a set of fundamental beliefs through which you view the world and everything in it. It is a set of mental glasses. Right now, I can see all of you. Little fuzzy. Okay? Little fuzzy. Now I can see you clear. When I put these on, they correct my vision. They take what is out of focus and they bring it into focus. Now, if I were wearing shooting glasses or red glasses or green glasses, when I put them on, they color the world around me. So when we put on the glasses of a biblical worldview, it changes how we see things. And you're going to be surprised how important these four silly questions are to that conversation, origin, purpose, morality, and destiny. They make up your worldview. And what we're going to find over the coming weeks is the answer to question number one, where did I come from, forces the answer to the, to the rest. It puts you, it pigeonholes you into a set of circumstances that will guide you to God. And I think that's why the Bible starts with in the beginning God. There are more Christians, more people in the church, more people in the pulpit today that will tell you that Genesis is unnecessary, that Genesis 1 through 11 is probably something that's best left out of the Bible. I know preachers who won't start anything. uh, They won't go back far enough in their Bible past Genesis 12. They won't go before that because Genesis 12 starts the story of Abraham. And in their view, Genesis 1 through 11 is fiction. It's metaphor. It's allegory. And then Genesis 12, suddenly God stopped lying to us and started telling us the truth. So you can trust from 12 on. That's history. The rest of it is like weird because like God floods the earth and, you know, there's this fruit and stuff like that. And and that's just weird. If God didn't want us to touch the, the tree of the fruit of, uh, of, of good and evil or life, he should have made it out of tofu. No one would have touched it. But I think God starts everything off with, in the beginning, God, because he wants us to know that he is there. And that's our first question. Where did I come from? There are only two answers to this question. No matter which 
Atheist scientists or Christian scientists or creation scientists you talk to, they will tell you there are only two possibilities to answer this question. And the first one is supernatural creation. For the Christian, that means in the beginning, God. That means when God says, in the beginning, I made you. I spoke you into existence. He wasn't kidding. He literally means I made you. This is not only plainly stated in Genesis 1-1, but it's also plainly stated in John 1. There's people who say, no, I don't like creation story because you don't find it anywhere else in the Bible. Really? Have you read the rest of the Bible? Let's see. In the beginning, the word already existed. The word was with God. The word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. Capital H, we're talking about Jesus. God created everything through him. Sorry, that should be a capital H right there because that's also talking about Jesus. And nothing was created except through him. The word gave life to that which, that, uh, to everything that was created and his life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness can never extinguish it. God sent a man, John the Baptist, to tell about the light so that everyone might believe because of his testimony. John himself was not the light. He was simply a witness to tell about the light. The one who is the true light, who gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He came into the very world he created, but the world didn't recognize him. Jesus stepped out of eternity. He stepped out of the immaterial, eternal existence and into the material, finite existence because something happened. There's a reason he did that. And it comes down to love. Jesus was not only the instrument of our salvation, Jesus was also the instrument of our creation. Both sides. He loved us so much with what he created that he gave himself to redeem it. That's pretty amazing. So that's supernatural creation. Now the other side is cosmic accident. I thought about putting like really huge reverb on that. Cosmic, mick, 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 accident. You know, like all those really bad evolution movies in high school, you know? For the atheist, what this means is that matter, chance, time, put those together, and what you get is the universe and all life as we know it. That if you give dirt long enough, it will turn into the universe. Okay. Because that's not weird and hard to believe at all. The most commonly held belief in this is what's called material evolution, resulting from the Big Bang. Anyone, everyone under, know, heard about the Big Bang through school? Right? It was all over the place. Now, if you don't know exactly what the Big Bang means, and you think that science has it, now I want you to understand this, you want, you want to believe that science has it figured out, and that the Bible is only religion, and religion is a bunch of nonsense, because religion is silly. Religion requires faith. I want something that doesn't require faith, so I'm going to stick with science. I'm going to explain to you what science says happened. And you can check me on this. This is what they believe. In the beginning, there was nothing and there was nowhere. 
We're all on the same page, right? In the beginning, nothing and nowhere. Then, suddenly, from somewhere else, not our nowhere, but somewhere, which has to be somewhere else because we're in nowhere and it has to come from somewhere because if it was where we are, it would be somewhere and it would be something, but it's not. It's nothing coming from somewhere into our nothing, which is also nowhere. Are we on the same page? From somewhere, a gigantic ball of everything appeared, turning our nowhere instantly into somewhere and all of our nothing into everything. At some point, that gigantic ball of everything, for no specific reason and guided by nothing, exploded. And as it exploded out into what used to be nowhere, it created somewhere and eventually created everywhere. And then along the way, all the little bits and pieces of the everything that came into our nowhere, creating our somewhere, because it was somewhere else, and then came into our somewhere, you know, and then exploded, and then turned our nowhere into everywhere. Along the way, it decided to come together and make everything, including you. My iPad is the result of an accident. Pretty cool accident. Now, it sounds like I'm making that up. I'm sorry, I'm not. It's a bit of a comical way of explaining what they believe, but this is what they believe. Because that doesn't require faith at all. I don't have enough faith to be an atheist. I'm going to put my faith in God. No matter which side of the conversation you fall on, your worldview is going to begin with one of two answers. You are either a cosmic accident or you are the product of a creator. And I want to show you how that affects everything in your life. The second question we deal with is, does my life have meaning Webster's defines meaning as this, the reason for which something is done or created or for which something exists. Your purpose. Purpose requires intent. It requires a mind. Has anyone ever built anything by accident? You're walking through your wood shop. You trip. You fall into your saw. Not a good idea. Just... You had a piece of wood in your hand, and boom, a set of cabinets. Amazing. Gary, if it was only that easy, right? You see, to get the end product, you have to have the end product in mind already. Nothing that is built, nothing that exists, exists for no reason. Everything that exists exists because a mind put it together. Think about this. I built this pulpit a couple of weeks ago. I drew it out first. I had to design the little logo inside my computer so my CNC could cut it out. I had to go get everything. I had to measure everything. I had to know how big this was going to be because I'm not. Okay? When people are like, oh, wow, you finally got a pulpit. No, I finally built one because I couldn't find one that didn't look make me look like I was a head floating behind a wall. So I had to know what I wanted before I began. 
Your phone is not the product of accidents. Your phone is the product of design. And the design was, I want something that allows two people to communicate and someone to be able to surf the internet at the same time. So they knew they wanted this at the end result, so they worked to design this thing and then get it built. Everything known to man is designed. The only time we cut it off is when we didn't do it. We have no problem looking back at the pyramids and going, design, probably aliens, but design. A ship going down the St. Lawrence River, design. Your plumbing system, designed and hopefully designed well. But when mankind didn't have input, didn't have control, suddenly... It can't be a design. Suddenly, it's an accident. Cosmic accident. Totally random. Meaningless. Purposeless. You think about it, no matter how small a tool is, that tool was created to perform a task. No matter how weird the art is, the artist had a goal. I got sent a beautiful picture yesterday of a cake. That cake is still rolling around in my mind. The person who sent it to me just started laughing. I don't want to point him out, but Andrew's sitting over there. The cake was prime rib on the bottom. I think it was sirloin in the middle and filet mignon on top, and the frosting was potatoes. My birthday's in January. If you want the details, come see me. I just... I hear my cardiologist in my ear, don't look. So I caught him and put him in a jar and set him on the counter. Whoever designed that had a plan. It was a good plan. The first person to make turduncan. If you don't know what that is, that's a turkey stuffed with a chicken, stuffed with a duck. These are genius people, folks. These are the Einsteins of the stomach. They had a plan. Granted, the plan was to just see it. I wonder if I can do this. I love these plans, but they're a plan. It didn't happen by accident. Of course, the mental picture of a turducken happened, but happening by accident is pretty funny. You'll catch it later. Don't worry about it. Some of you are going, don't laugh. You're just going to egg him on. Just don't do it. Check this out. Jeremiah 1.5. I knew you before I formed you in your mother's womb. Before you were born, I set you apart and appointed you as my prophet to the nations. Now, it's pretty obvious we are not all prophets to the nations. That part's not talking about us. But the thing we can, we can take away from this is that God knew us before he formed us in the womb. And he has a purpose for you. He has a plan for you. If you want to find that plan, get to know the creator. That's how you do that. If you remove or you refuse to allow the presence of a mind or a designer and any form of intelligence from our existence, what you're left with is in the beginning, mud. In the beginning, dirt. In the beginning, complicated pond scum. 
That's what you're left with. Now, I want you to think about this. In the evolutionary worldview, your value as an individual is based solely upon your worth to the collective. Can I say that again? In the evolutionary worldview, in the non-biblical worldview, your value of, as an individual is bound to the, to what you bring to the table for the collective. If you're not good for everyone, then you're not good at all. You're a waste of resources. Now, I know that sounds harsh. That might sound over the top, but that has been the rallying cry of murderous secularists all through history. People have been using this view because they fully believe that we are nothing more than an accident. And if we are nothing more than an accident, then there's nothing waiting for us. We'll get to that later. So life has no value other than what it brings to the table. So if you are a burden on resources, you should simply be eliminated. You get rid of spare cats, you get rid of spare kids. The person who pioneered the organization that we know of as Planned Parenthood, Margaret Sanger, here's a quote from her. She says, eugenics, I'll explain that in a minute, is the most adequate and thorough avenue to the solution of racial, political, and social problems. Eugenics is selective breeding. Any of you who have cows understand this. You don't let sick animals or deformed animals breed. They're a detriment to the population. They took that mindset and applied it to humanity. Planned Parenthood, most people have no idea what this is. Margaret Sanger went to Germany pre-World War II to learn the process of eugenics, which meant to breed out the undesirable people of the population to bring that back to the United States. What she learned, she turned into what eventually is called Planned Parenthood. And when she started Planned Parenthood, she started it in primarily minority communities. Because it was her belief that if you were not white, Western European, you were lower on the evolutionary scale. And by the way, this was taught in textbooks. We'll get to that in another lesson. You were so underdeveloped, you were a detriment to the gene pool and you needed to be removed from society. That's why most Planned Parenthoods are on the, inside, are on, on the inner cities. They're not in the rich suburbs. They're in the populations that they want to get rid of. Margaret Sanger's organizations, before they were found out, forcibly sterilized somewhere in the neighborhood of 100,000 people because she didn't want them to breed. These were mostly minority communities. They had no idea what they were doing. They thought they were getting free medical care. It was a plan because they had no value for human life. And people say, yeah, I know that's how Planned Parenthood started. I know that's how these things work. But you know what? We don't have that view today. We have a more evolved view of life. Well, let me show you something. That same view in the medical community and the abortion lobby is alive and well today. And it's actually even further along because they don't value human life. I want to show you this. This is an article. Some of you have seen this before. This is from the Journal of Medical Ethics. January 2012. I keep this and I bring it out every now and then to prove a point. The Journal of Medical Ethics is basically published to, to bring articles that is believed to be of great importance to the future of the medical community. 
So here are thoughts and here are researches and here's the ideas that should be forwarded and the entire medical community should get a hold of this. That's what this is. Let me read this to you. The title of the article is After Birth Abortion. No, I'm not making it up. And I didn't type it out this time. I actually just took a picture of the same one that I'm reading right now. I'm going to put it on the screen behind you and I'm going to read you a couple of sections. This is where the devaluing of life starts to reach the public consciousness. What they're saying in here was what used to be said quietly. Now it's being said out loud. Nonetheless, to bring up such children, talk about children who might have, have physical issues. Nonetheless, to bring up such children might be an unbearable burden on the family and on society as a whole when the state economically provides for their care. On these grounds, the fact that a fetus has the potential to become a person who will have an at least acceptable life is no reason for prohibiting abortion. Therefore, we argue that when circumstances occur after birth, such that they would have justified abortion, what we call afterbirth abortion should be permissible. In spite of the oxymoron in the expression, we propose to call this practice afterbirth abortion rather than infanticide. In case you don't realize it, them saying the oxymoron, what they're saying is, I know that this is completely untrue, but this is how we'd rather say it because it's nicer sounding. This is to emphasize that the moral status of the individual killed, notice they admit the individual killed is comparable with that of a fetus on which abortions in the traditional sense are performed rather than that of a child. See, we don't want to call it a child even though it is an individual being killed. Therefore, we claim that killing a, that killing a newborn could be ethically permissible in all of the circumstances where abortion would be. Such circumstances include cases where the newborn has potential to have an at least acceptable life. There's nothing wrong with the kid, but the well-being of the family is at risk. Accordingly, a second terminological specification is that we call such practice after birth, uh, after birth abortion rather than euthanasia. Because the best interest of the one who dies, listen to this, the best interest of the one who dies is not necessarily the primary criterion for the choice. Contrary to what happens in the case of euthanasia, I know that murdering people is bad, but we're not talking about their benefit. We're talking about the collective good because society may end up having to foot the bill for this kid. So it's a burden on society, so let's just get rid of it. They go on to say there are two reasons which taken together justify this claim. The moral status of an infant is equivalent to that of a fetus. That is, neither can be considered a person in the morally relevant sense. And two, it is not possible, listen to this, it is not possible to damage a newborn by preventing her from developing the potentiality to become a person in the morally relevant sense. It's not possible to damage the newborn by killing it? I think that's the definition of damaging it. If I take your car and I smash it into the wall and I say, no, I'm not doing that. That's morally irrelevant. I haven't hurt your car at all. It still turns over. It doesn't matter what I'm thinking. What they have done is they have taken the value of individual life 
and spit it out on the ground. And you are only as valuable as you are to the community. If you don't bring something to the table that has value, you will simply be put down. There are some European countries right now where if you are older and you are put into, you are released into government care and you have no value and they deem that you have no quality of life, they simply put you down like a dog. Why? It's really simple. Because they believe you're nothing more than a cosmic accident. You have, your life has no value. It's just an accident. And because your life is an accident, you have no, there, you can't have a purpose. Accidents have no purpose. You can't have a random chemical purpose. The whole point of it being random is that it has no value in its own. It's just what happened. Your life is nothing more than biochemical reactions. And those biochemical reactions are causing a burden on society. So let's stop them before they become too expensive. There are people lobbying for this system right now in prisons. If you're going to be there for life, why burden society with the cost? Let's just get it over with now. You're not rehabilitatable, at least in their eyes. Then let's just get it over with now. You see where this goes? The people putting these things forward are the same people who used to call Hitler a monster. The only difference between Hitler and them is that he actually did it. They're just talking about it. It's the same mental framework. It is only when you have intent, purpose, that your life has value. Knowing that you're created by a loving God gives you value. From the moment of conception, God knew you. From the moment that egg was fertilized, God knew you. Before you began to even take shape in the womb, God knew you. You had value. We are here for a reason, and that reason is found by building a connection to the one who made us. You find your value by finding your creator. Learning how to understand the character and nature of God is how we find our intent, how we find our value and our purpose. Learning to understand his ways and his standards, his standards of right and wrong, good, bad, evil, righteousness. There are many today that want to focus on a loving God instead of knowing God. I want to love God, but I don't know if I want to know God. I mentioned this last week. I'll say it again. The disengaged mind is the enemy of the Christian, but the friend of the false teacher. The Bible never separates the love of God and the knowledge of God. We love God because we know God. The more we know God, the more we can love God. If you want to love God, but you don't want to know God, the truth is you love a God of your own making. You love a God of your own design. We are not called to do that. We're called to love the God of the Bible. That's where our standards come from. 
So if you don't know his word, you don't know him. And if you don't know him, you really don't know what you love. You may have a good idea and you may even have good intentions, but you're missing something of profound importance. The third one's really simple, morality. How do I know the difference between right and wrong? Morality is our understanding of right and wrong given to, is, and the question is, is our understanding of right and wrong given to us by an outside entity? Or is it the self-imposed restriction, restrictions of human reasoning? See, now, if you answered the first question, in the beginning God, then your answer is really, really clear. It's very simple. If in the beginning God, he created us, therefore he gets to make up the rules. We're his. So he gets to tell us what's right and what's wrong. We don't get to decide for ourselves. The meaning of right and wrong is determined by God and God alone. It's determined by God and God alone. Not my flawed human reasoning. If God's word says something is good, then it's good. If God's word says something is sin, guess what? It's sin. If God's word says that we will stand before him upon our death and be judged according to his word, then we will, can be assured that we will stand before him and be judged according to his word. Here's what that means. I gave you everything you will ever need to understand how to live, how to love, how to raise your children, how to deal with business, how to deal with government, how to deal with conflict, how to deal with conflict resolution, how to deal with friends, how to deal with relatives, good Lord. All of that is in here. And when we stand before him, we're going to be judged on how we applied ourselves to this standard, not this standard. I heard a crazy quote from a local minister that in order for God to be good, he has to be at least as good as us. Listen to that carefully. In order for God to be good, he has to be at least as good as us. What kind of cosmic arrogance puts themselves in the position where we are could we are comparing the goodness of God with us. Most of us can't go down 81 without speeding, knowing that we're breaking the law. But we pride ourselves on our time. How was the trip to Syracuse? Made good time. Got there in 18 minutes. I got one of those I support the state trooper stickers on my car. Boy, did that work really well. No, you drove down during shift change. Shut up. Think of the things that we do. God's got to be at least as good as us. Come on. That's insanity. We are to apply ourselves to the standards of God, his character, his nature, alone. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Three of the five solas, if those of you like to go back to the Reformation. If your answer is cosmic accident, you're here because of a cosmic accident, then morality is nothing more than a set of restrictions that you or society impose on yourself. I can do anything I want as long as society does not deem it illegal. And if I'm crafty, I can get them to change the law to fit my purposes. Good thing that doesn't happen today, right? I mean, granted, insider trading is completely illegal unless you're in the House of Representatives. 
who passed a law making it legal just for them. But it's not like that happens a lot. I mean, except for that whole Obamacare thing that they exempted themselves from. I mean, I, I, you know, it's, it's really, it's, it, you're, we're splitting hairs here. <laughs> yeah, like, like I could split hairs. Yeah, really. If we are a cosmic accident, then morality is nothing more than what makes me happy that I can get away with. What might be immoral for me doesn't necessarily mean it's immoral for you because who cares? If you get away with it, no one catches you, then suddenly it's moral. I know I should pay my taxes, but I haven't been audited yet. No. It's still wrong. It's still illegal. Figure it out, folks. It comes back to your truth or my truth when really what we should be doing is concentrating on the truth, which is his truth. That's what we should be focused on, his truth. And the last one is destiny. What happens to me when I die? Now, if your answer to this question is, uh, to the question of origin is, I'm nothing more than a cosmic accident, then the answer is actually pretty simple. From nothing to nothing. From nothing to nothing. There's no reason you're here, and there's nothing waiting for you when you die. What will happen is eventually, the process known as entropy, the little chemical reactions in your body, they don't go on forever. I don't know if you realize this, but as you get older, things change. You know, you push a four-year-old down the, down the stairs. I don't recommend you doing this, but I'm just saying it happens. You push a four-year-old down the stairs. They roll down the stairs. They get up and they're like, wah! That was weird! Push me down the stairs. You just bury me where I land. Right? How many of you have thrown your back out sneezing? Yeah. Achoo! Ah! How many of you tripped over nothing and seriously hurt yourself because you're catching yourself from tripping over nothing? Yeah. You go see the doctor. What seems to be the problem? I can't move my neck. What happened? I have no idea. My neck, sir, I have a titanium plate in my neck. I'd have three vertebrae fused. You know what I did? I got out of bed. I wasn't lifting a bus off of children. I got out of bed wrong. Makes you seriously consider karma. (laughs) At some point, your biological functions wind down. They slow down. They run out of energy. And they stop. Death is a reality that affects one out of one people. I think Nancy says it the best. Growing old is not for wimps. There's a strength you have to have as you age, not to mention a sense of humor. Stuff you used to laugh at. If you're you're under 20, there's a lot of stuff on TV you laugh at that's going to become really interesting in about 15 years. Just saying. Like, hmm. Might want to try that. What will happen is the chemical reactions in your body will stop. 
And if you believe you came from nowhere, there's nothing waiting for you but black. At least in your own mind. After that, this physical thing that you happen to be living in at the moment gets reabsorbed by other meaningless chemical reactions. And then in the passing of time, you're forgotten. I don't know about you, but that's horrible. It's horrifying to me that people would want to live with that mindset. What they want is a life of no heaven, no hell, no sin, no God. Just here one minute, gone the next, eat, drink for tomorrow, we die, right? If it was only that simple. It's not. If you answer that question that in the beginning, God, then you know what? This isn't something you have to worry about. It's not something you have to worry about. Because we know we are the product of a loving creator. He designed us for a purpose. He stepped out of eternity to redeem us. And he promised us a newness of life. He promised us that the creation that he began with, he will remake That even though in the very beginning we rejected God, God promised us right off in the beginning, we'll be getting to this in the weeks ahead, that he will redeem us. That what was lost will be redeemed, will be gotten back. What Satan stole us with a lie, Jesus is going to redeem with the truth. And for thousands of years, God put together a plan. He put it in place. We called it the law of sin and atonement. He made a way for us to come back to him. And he made it so hard we could never do it on our own. So he stepped out of eternity to do it for us. And he did it on purpose because he wanted us to know, you chose to leave me, but I chose to get you. You wanted to go away. I wanted you back. He didn't leave it just in our hands to be so good we deserved heaven. He wanted us to know you could never deserve heaven, but I'm going to give it to you anyway by my own efforts on your behalf. All we have to do is believe it. Think about that. All we have to do is believe it. Romans 10, 9, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Confessing with your mouth that Jesus is Lord means that everything that the Bible says about him is now true to you. You now believe God's word because Jesus is the word. We read that in John. He is the word. And if he is Lord, then his word is Lord. His word is now the only authority in my life, regardless of what the government or society says. His word is it. He is my Lord. And I believe that God rose him from the dead. And what that means is not only is he alive and well today, but he walked the earth. He really did come from heaven down to earth. He really did walk this earth. He really did teach us. He really did die on the cross for a purpose. And that purpose was to redeem me and you and you and your kids and your parents and your grandparents and everybody else. But then he gave us a job. To take the message to the world. And we don't. Because we feel weird about it. In the beginning, God created the world. The world rejected him. 
God so loved the world that he stepped out of heaven. You know, he could have just made this again. He could have just started again. You realize he spoke us into existence. He wasn't playing around in a lab. He simply said, be, and it is. He could have just done it again. But that's not how God works. He gave of himself because he loved the world. And those who loved him back, who said yes, he said, go back into the world and bring me to the other lost. And the reason he sent us is because he's coming back to remake things the way they were originally intended. What was that we broke? You know why the world's so hard? We broke it. He's going to remake it. A new heaven and a new earth will be granted us for those who accept Christ as Savior. Like I said in the beginning, there's a lot of people in this world who have a hard time seeing the goodness of God in the world. It's because they're looking through secular glasses, through our own version of what goodness is. What you need is to reclaim the worldview of biblical truth. Start seeing things the way God intends you to see them. And that starts with understanding that you are not an accident. You are here for a reason. You are the product of a loving creator, and he has a plan for you. You want to find it? Find him.